Good morning again to you all and invite you to take the sword of the Lord before you, your scriptures, and open up to the book of Mark again, chapter 14. Mark 14, we're moving on in today, verses 26 through 31, and kind of we'll uh, even look at the whole rest of the chapter in a, in a way here, but right now you can head to 14, 20. Six in Mark, and as you're on your way there, we'll show you a picture I had one last week, and it was of Madeline. So Madeline drew, it's a little faded there, but you've got the Lord's Supper. That's what we were celebrating last week in this communion, and Jesus' blood of the new covenant and my body that is uh, given for you. Uh, take and eat, this is my body, and that idea. And so Madeline caught that, and uh, she's there. So thank you, Madeline, for drawing that. So others, you want to turn them in? Uh, just hand them into my hand. Put your name on them. That helps me and, and uh, appreciate that. So it gives us an idea of where we were at at that supper, that Passover meal um, Thursday night of this, this week, this Passion Week. And we come into verse 26, and so let me read God's Word to us through verse 31. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Let's pray again. Lord, again, we just echo the prayers of this morning and say, Lord, come and be present and guide and shine light on your word. And Lord, do change our hearts according to your will. And I thank you, Lord, that you are at work. You are the great uh, potter. We're the clay. So, Lord, mold us. Mold us by your word today, and Lord, we pray that we would have the grace to thank you for the molding you're doing in our lives, some through difficult circumstances, to mold us, to depend on you, to glorify you, to trust you. So guide our time again in your word by your spirit, we would pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we are at Labor Day weekend. And uh, here we are, it goes by quick in these months, and I want to read to you, sometimes it's good to know where these days come from and to remember, um, because it's kind of odd, we call it Labor Day, but we take the day off, so where does this come from? Here's, you didn't find anything on the internet, so uh, I'm going to go with this, Wikipedia, not too concerned about accuracy here, but uh, I think it's probably pretty good, so here's their Here's their take. Labor Day in the United States is a public holiday celebrated on the first Monday in September. It honors the American labor movement and the contributions that workers have made to the strength, prosperity, laws, and well-being of the country. Beginning in the late 19th century, as the trade union and labor movements grew, trade unionists proposed that a day be set aside to celebrate labor. Labor Day was promoted by the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor, which organized the first parade in New York City uh, in 1887. Oregon was the first state of the United States to make it an official public holiday. 
By the time it became an official federal holiday in 1894, 30 states in the United States officially celebrated Labor Day. There's your history lesson. You've started school already. Uh, Some of you have already been in school, but the background to this Labor Day, this day to celebrate, uh, what they say here, the strength, prosperity of the workers. Our text today is going in the exact opposite direction of that. We're, we're not celebrating our labors, our work, but the worker of the one who labored for us. Hopefully that'll make sense as we look through this. Um, because try as these disciples might, I'm not going to deny, I will follow you, I will do it. They, Jesus says you're all going to fall away. And so we want to look at this text today and really look over the next five weeks at really two aspects of labor uh, as we look and finish up chapter 14. So one aspect, kind of these, again, these contrasts, one is really the utter failure of man to follow God, even when in close vicinity, like the disciples, uh, their inability without a work of grace in them to follow after God. And these sheep of God, they scatter easily, though they had great intentions. Peter himself, I'm not going to, I'll die with you. I'm going to follow. So that's one aspect over these next weeks. And then the other, though, really the magnificent and gracious work of Jesus Christ, that great shepherd who cares for scattered sheep and moving towards his glorious labor as the Son of God on the cross. So there's a couple aspects as we look through, and we'll look through section by section. Today we're through verse 31 and kind of contrasting disciples, Peter himself, who are prone to leave, uh, but Jesus, he's going to be prone to lead. They're prone to leave, he's prone to lead and go before them. Uh, next week we're going to look at that praying into the Garden of Gethsemane and the weakness of the disciples, and yet the powerful will of Jesus to go do what the Father desires. Lord, your will be done. And so these contrasts of these weak disciples that fall asleep and a strong Savior. We're going to get into verse 43 then and this betrayal and arrest of Jesus by Judas, that he's betrayed and yet Jesus fulfills the covenant. Remember last week we learned about this blood of the new covenant. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to do it. He's going to follow through on the promise to give life and to, that the nations would be blessed and by faith looking to Jesus. And yet he's also betrayed, isn't he? We go into his trial then of the false testimony of those on trial, and yet Jesus gives the true testimony. And lastly, we're going to come back, and the reason why I'm packaging these together as kind of a, a series, if you will, scattered sheep of a gracious shepherd is there's, there's some similarities, and you could make probably other divisions, but I think they all fit within Um, I'm going to call this just a large double-decker sandwich of Mark. We've talked about the sandwich before. This is a very large one uh, where Jesus talks about Peter uh, who's going to deny Jesus. And then this whole section, this whole chapter is going to end with the the actual denial of Peter when he actually does it. I think in between we see just these contrasting things that we've already uh, been looking at. So we're going to be here for, for at least a few weeks five weeks or so, and looking at this contrast um, of these here. So let's dive into verse 26, where we do get this initial setting of where they're at again, a familiar place. It's that same Passover night where the meal has concluded with what 
presumed to be the, the Hallel or the singing of a psalm or maybe psalms. They've sung this hymn. And then they head out of this upper room uh, to the Mount of Olives. I've got, I think, the map first. Yeah, we do have a map here. Just to kind of give you an idea, you can see on there, I don't have a pointer, but see the upper room and at least this map is tracing their paths maybe out a gate there and up uh, through the valley up to this Garden of Gethsemane. The Mount of Olives being on the uh, eastern side there uh, of this. Jesus here has also, I mean, this isn't the first time we're here. Hey, that was pretty good. There, it showed up. Did I do that with my hand? I don't know. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, okay, good. All right, good job, guys. They're so helpful. They're just like a part of the team here. So thank you guys back there. Uh, how about some pictures here? This, these are, we'll just go through a couple pictures it doesn't look like a place you can really get away from it all right now. Uh, this is present day. Um, I think it's maybe more up to the left there. Uh, perhaps some of you have been to Israel. You know this more of just how this is. I mean, I believe these are all a lot of grave, grave sites, big cemetery there. You can go through the next one. This one's looking, I think it's from the, from the west looking east, uh, probably you know near the temple grounds. And so this is maybe the rise of it coming out. Uh, to the east there, some 200 feet. So that kind of gives you a picture of idea, thank you guys, of kind of where we're at, what we're looking at. Um, we've been here before, like I said. Uh, Jesus has been here with the disciples talking about uh, this coming day of destruction on Jerusalem and the day of His return. I imagine probably more than what those pictures showed, really a somewhat maybe desolate place. Like we would go to Lake Louise and go maybe get away or find a quiet spot to pray. And so they're all heading out to the Mount of Olives. And we're going to get to that prayer time next week. And this is kind of on the way, or maybe as they're going, or as they've gotten there, Jesus is doing some teaching. The setting, like we said, it is a unique setting. Um, the prophet Zechariah, uh, minor prophet Zechariah, talks about this mount as a place where the Lord's feet will stand and triumph against nations. Um, like I said, Jesus has taught here with his disciples uh, before, looking at the destruction of Jerusalem. Eventually, Jesus is going to depart from this very place, this very Mount of Olives. Acts, the book of Acts tells us he's going to depart from this place. And so it's significant. But it's also significant, I think, of the name, just the name Mount of Olives and what's going on here. Uh, we're not maybe a, a super olive society, although we might like olives or uh, some of you really like black olives or whatever, but olives, this oil, um, it was used in medicine, the oil of the olive, used in cooking or for light. So this is a big resource for them. But I want to think about where Jesus is going with his disciples. And he's talking here, and then he's going to be praying just to get a, a glimpse of this garden and this idea of olives and what you do with olives. In order to get the oil, they must be pressed out. Here's what uh, a fellow named, uh, I don't have a first name, but Masterman says about this, um, this process of getting oil from the olives. He says, oil is obtained on a larger scale in one of the many varieties of oil mills. The berries are carried in baskets by donkeys to the mill, and they are crushed by heavy weights. A better class of oil can be obtained by collecting the first oil to come off separately. But not much attention to, is given to this in Palestine, and usually the berries are crushed, stones and all, by a circular millstone revolving upright round a central pivot. 
you might get a glimpse from that just how fitting this setting is for Jesus to be in. This, this Mount of Olives, this place where they take the olives in order to get the oil, there's a crushing to take place. And the same thing with the sin and the crushing that Jesus must have felt that night before uh, his death and the weight of what he would do. The press was on this night. And it was on for Jesus, and the press would come to the disciples. And two very different paths are taken. Jesus gives this word of teaching as we move on to verse 27. Look through 28. Let me read that again. And Jesus said to them, here's the words, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Talking about them falling away, and here's the writing. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I'd like you to look at this in the book of Zechariah. If you just turn back, it's not very far from Mark. Mark, if you turn back to the left, the book of Zechariah, the minor prophet, uh, back in there, if you needed to use a table of contents and find it, find it in the front and eventually get to Zechariah. And we're going to look at this. It's specifically in Zechariah 13.7 is where this phrase comes from, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd uh, and the sheep will be scattered. And it comes from this place, but I want to look a little bit around Zechariah, uh, in particular even in chapter 12, verse 10, uh, of what's going on. And there's kind of this, there's this movement of God uh, uh, taking care, triumphing. Mount of Olives is mentioned um, within here. Uh, now I can't remember where it's at, but let me look at verse 10 here. The message says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a, a firstborn. There's an idea here, before we get into chapter 30, 13, of, of mourning and of regret, this one on whom they have pierced. And we think of Jesus fulfilling this, this one whom they have pierced. And we see this. But let's read on. In this day of mourning, there's also a day of uh, grace going on. Look at 13. I'm just going to read the chapter. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That too is going on. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies on that day every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies he he will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive but will say i am no prophet i am a worker of the soil for a man sold me in my youth and if one asks him what are these wounds on your back he will say the wounds i received in the house of my friends and now we come to this context this verse that jesus is repeating with his disciples Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones 
In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. Now listen to what he does with this one-third. I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. I think within this there is, and we see a glimpse as as maybe hazy it can be and say, man, maybe this introduces other questions for us. There's this shepherd that will be struck and these sheep scattered. But there's also grace going on as these sheep are scattered because some of them are refined, a third of them. They're refined as one refined silver and they're tested as gold. And in the end, verse 9, they're going to call and I'm going to answer. They're going to be my people. They're going to say, the Lord is my God. And I think we see some of this going on with Jesus and his disciples, even back in Mark 14, if you want to turn back there. Jesus says, in the midst of this, he's going to say, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Bad news for the disciples. But 28, good news. But after I am raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows they're all going to fall away. And yet in the midst of this, in the midst of Jesus knowing their failures, what does he do? He continues on. He continues with the mission. I'm going to be raised and I'm going to go before you and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. There's hope here in the midst of the failure of these disciples. It's, he sees it from a distance. You guys are going to all fail. They don't see it yet. Well, look at that. He sees it. And yet in their failure, he says, yeah, I, I know you're going to fail and I'm going to be raised. And you know what? When I'm raised, I'm going to meet you guys again. The story's not over at your falling away. There's a combination here, I think, for us, and we'll look at this more uh, as we apply this passage, but this idea of desiring a godly grief over our sin, our falling away, our denying of Jesus, and yet this grace that God again goes before them and will see them. Well, these disciples deny these failures. Peter in particular, look at verse 29. Uh, yeah, 29. Peter says to him, yeah, here's Peter, even though they all fall away, I will not. And who could blame Peter, right? He, even if all of them, I'm not going to. Uh, Mark 8.29 is the place where Peter had exclaimed, when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter, remember he said, you are the Christ, uh, the Son of God. Peter was not on a fringe group. He was one of the in disciples. He was one of the three. Peter saw the feedings, the 4,000, the 5,000. He saw Jesus on the water. Uh, He saw Jesus heal people. He saw the transfiguration. All these things. He had all this apologetic witness before him. He saw Jesus. He was talking to him. Peter here says, even though they all fought, no, I'm not going. I've been with you. I'm going to be with you. And yet he's one that really, Mark will point out, fell away. I think it's interesting this story is even, this account is even in here. Uh, I believe, and it's in uh, every one of the Gospels. Some of these are in some Gospels and not others. This one uh, is in every one of them of Peter's denial of the Lord. 
I think Peter behind Mark, who's writing this book, Peter behind him is kind of the, the source there. Uh, is just bringing this out for us to see, I think, his, his failure, his blunder, and yet great grace at the same moment. Jesus speaks, though, to Peter, who has said, I'm not going to fall away. And he says to him in verse 30, Truly I tell you, you know, it's not going to be long, Peter. You can't even last a night. This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Jesus, again, knows what's going to happen. And he knows Peter specifically will deny, not just once, kind of like a slip up, like... Maybe he, maybe he was supporting and he didn't just say it right, or maybe he was, he was uh, courageous and stood up for Jesus. But there's three times of denial, this emphasis, this going on. It's not just a one-time slip-up. There's a heart of denial of, the, of his Lord, of his Master, of Jesus. A heart becoming protective of its own, maybe its own image. I'm not with him. I see him going to the death. I see him being... On trial, I'm, I'm not with that guy. Don't put me in the same group with him. But rather here than simply, I mean, Peter here, perhaps, we would hear the words of Jesus and maybe Peter would say, oh, you're right, I believe you. Lord, help me on that day. We, we don't see that. He just comes back more. Verse 31, he said emphatically, again, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then verse 31 tells us they all said the same thing. All of them saying the same thing. Peter says, even if I have to die, I'm not going to deny you. And the wording there, again, as we said, and they all said it's the same in the same likeness. All, think of all these disciples. Think of Jesus speaking to Peter. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to all fall away. And all of them just chiming in. Can you hear him and get this picture of these guys around? Not me, Lord. No, I'm not going to fall away. No, oh, he, none of us will. I wonder for us if any of us approach this idea of falling away the same way. Surely not I. I'm more secure or I had a better upbringing. I'm confident I'm not going to fall away. Maybe we can look at the disciples and think, if I had been there, I would, have, I would have said, I would have been fine. I would have not fallen away. When they came with the swords that night, not me. I'm sticking with Jesus all the way. I'm in. But here's these guys, and I think we should take a le- I believe it's 11. Judas has left here. 11 of these guys who have seen Jesus and seen the works face to face, and yet we know it's not long in the, in the account in the narrative here when they all fall away. There's really here, I think even just, I think, I don't think it's just speculation, but I think you could pull out of here. They're heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a garden-like aspect, a Garden of Eden aspect to this. Jesus is saying, it's written, I'm going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to be scattered. And none of the disciples believe him. They're all, no, it's not going to be me. And so here, even here, again, kind of that echo of the garden where they, distrusted the Lord and they ate from that forbidden tree of the fruit. God had said, don't eat from that. His word had gone out and they disobeyed His word. Again, Jesus has given His word to these 11 disciples and they say, no, not us. They don't believe His word to them. So we see a a repeat. 
we're going to, like we said next week, head to this garden scene where Jesus is praying and, and they're trying maybe to stay awake and they're falling asleep. He's saying, watch. And we just see these contrasts develop of these disciples who will fall away, Jesus who will not give up, who will relentlessly fulfill the covenant and die and pour his blood, a ransom for many. But a couple of thoughts um, as we look at this passage, um, because I I think it's easy in our daily reading to just read over this and understand it as a story, but I hope we can see some of the two aspects again in here of of grief and, and grace. A grief that leads us to repentance. One is recognizing putting ourselves in the shoes of the same disciples, that they're all going to fall away. And maybe our denial of Jesus looks differently. Maybe we're not standing next to him, but we're called on in class and we give an answer that we think people will like instead of the answer that honors God. Or we're scared to proclaim him like we should or fearful. Or we sin against him and in our sinning we deny that he's the Lord and he's the potter and what he says is right, and I'm going to obey it. And so I think within this, um, it's what I'm getting at, what we want to be careful to do is that I don't just say, you know, God's gracious. Uh, there's His grace, grace leads us to repentance. So God is gracious. Hear that. I'm not saying God's not gracious. But there's a sense in which we want to be under that grief of falling away, of those that have denied the Lord, and yet there's graciousness. And I think the story here, because these disciples will go on, right? right? Peter's going to go on to lead the church from here. These disciples go on from here. The story's not done to lead the church. But it's a story, maybe in a compact form, of the rest of Scripture. You think of some of the greats of Scripture and how all of them fall away at various I mean Adam here's Adam everything was perfect it was all good there was one fruit not to eat and they ate of it and they fell in sin there's Abraham who has these promises of God but instead of waiting for the blessing of this son God would give him through Sarah remember Abraham took matters into his own hands with Hagar and they she birthed Ishmael maybe that's the plan and he didn't follow with God's plan There's Judah and Tamar in this lineage, and yet through Judah and Tamar comes the lineage of King Jesus. There's Moses, the great leader of the people out of the land of slavery, and then he strikes the rock and he doesn't enter the promised land, although God does allow him to see it. There's King David, David, and I had to look this up. God made this covenant with David. You know, you're going to have an offspring on the throne forever. There's this covenant given. You would say, wow, David, that's pretty good. He's a, he's a great guy. But it was after that that he failed with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. All through, I think, the Scriptures, we see this, this leadership and this, uh, these people of Scripture, and yet we see their failings. I think what's going on is there is grace going on. What kind of grace? Grace at work in Peter's life as he, God is graciously working in our lives, that even through the failures of Peter on this night, that God was going to do a work in Peter's life to obey him and be a leader of the church. I think this changed Peter's life significantly, this denial that's going to come, and we're going to look at the 
tail end of it as we get to the end here. Peter's leadership journey came not through outward uh, evidence, through being with Jesus uh, alone, right? God just didn't raise up a leader in Peter just because he was with Jesus. I think God was raising up a leader by taking him to the depths and to see this refining going on, this this, uh, testing of gold, this testing of faith, and that through it, Peter would be a different kind of leader. And I believe God does that in our lives as well. Uh, Not to show Peter's strength here. Not to say, see, all ten of them fled, but I stayed. I'm worthy. That whole idea of saying, Lord, we're not worthy. We're weak before you. God's grace is the glorious aspect of our salvation. And it's a grace that had taken Peter to the weakness of himself that we'll see later on and the glory of the one who suffered and would, be, would go before him to Galilee. That's the grace here in verse 28. The shepherd's going to be struck. The sheep will be scattered. If you're feeling scattered, like scattered sheep, you're not alone. And to allow the Holy Spirit to impress that on your heart. I'm scattered. I've left the Lord. I have not followed Him. I failed. I sung about it even today, and already I've not followed. And it's to come back because there's hope. The hope of verse 28, Jesus, after I'm raised up, I'll go before you. It's the hope of grace in Christ. I want you to turn one other place, and it's the book of 1 Peter. Um, I'm prone to head to Peter just because of his background and kind of source as Mark, as we've looked before. But I want to read to you these words from 1 Peter And just think in light of what was going on, uh, it's going to be chapter 1, verse 3, I'll start at. 1 Peter 1, 3. In light of this Jesus telling Peter, you're going to deny me, you're going to fall away. All of you, but Peter, you specifically, before the night's over, before that rooster crows the second time, three times you'll deny me, not just once. And I wonder if that influenced what we read here and maybe other places as well. But listen to 1 Peter 1, 3-9, where he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me just stop there. Our living hope is not in our living it's in the resurrection of Jesus, raised from the dead who goes before us. That's where our hope is. All right, verse 4. To an inheritance, look at this. This is good news to disciples that fall away. Is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, verse 7, what's the so that? A purpose. Why? Why the trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him 
and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Scattered sheep have a gracious shepherd who leads them back through the grief of repentance. When God brings that sin to your mind and that denial and that area, praise God. He's bringing you to repentance to turn again to the one shepherd, the gracious shepherd, to the hope of Christ again. Let's pray together. Lord, as we've sung again today, those words, change my heart, O God. Make it ever new. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. And sometimes your changing is not what we would look for. And it looks like hard nights, and it looks like nights of betrayal. And it is because we're weak. Lord, those things are not right. And yet, Lord, I pray that those that have fallen away, those that have distanced themselves from you, those that feel they've sinned too greatly, would see your gracious hand in that, leading them back to the cross again, to the blood that speaks a better word than any other, the blood of Jesus that covers our sin. So Lord, may those trials and may those denials and that grief lead us to repentance and lead us to glorify the only one who labored perfectly and who labored on our behalf of sinners, that though we were enemies, Christ died for us, that we might be made righteous before God, brought to you again in holy garments. It's grace at work. So Lord, graciously work in us this week and where we see trial and testing, may we say, oh, thank you, Lord. We're not talking like we enjoy it, like we're just kind of glib and have fun. But Lord, may we in our heart thank you and say, Lord, you're leading. You're leading me back to you so that my only boast is you. I have no boast in my discipleship alone and how I've followed you, but may my boast be in you. And so, Lord, may everyone in this room, myself included, lift our hands and say, Lord, our boast is in you and what you've done for sinners weakened ones at that by your power and grace. And so we we lift these things to you, Lord. Guide us as your sheep to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.